Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. All right, most of week one has come and gone. We still have one more game tonight. Uh, EJ and I are recording this at 9.26 on Monday morning. Uh, we have done our best to go through all the games from Sunday so we can talk about them today and get you ready for Monday Night Football. Uh, EJ, I see a new background behind you. How's the new digs? It's awesome. It's really, really good. This is what we've been teasing and leading up to for the past oh, month, basically, since the day we stopped the summer preview series, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, uh, believe it or not, this is the same basement, the same unpainted drywall basement that's been my background since I started podcasting. Um, it has been transformed. You'll see this part of it today. You'll see other parts of it as we keep going, but uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, we got the money uh, for EJ to do this renovation, by the way, uh, from our sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. So, uh, Nick, Liz, Zach, if you're watching this, thank you for paying EJ enough to finally uh, do something about that basement. Uh, we appreciate all of our sponsors that help make this possible. We appreciate you guys for helping to make this possible. Uh, speaking of uh, sponsorships, by the way, um, <laughs> if you want to help EJ pay for that basement, uh, you can do so by supporting our sponsors. Uh, again, this is going to be going live before Monday Night Football. So if you're catching this in the few hours that that this is going to be up before Monday Night Football, the slip that we got going tonight, um, EJ, I haven't actually told you what this is. So please let me know if I'm if I'm doing something crazy here for you. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, I went higher on 26 and a half receiving. Khalil Shakir, because I just can't quit him. I went higher at eight and a half receiving. Uh, James <laughs> Cook, I went higher at 14 and a half receiving for, for Cook. Garrett Wilson, I went higher on 67 and a half receiving. And Lazard, I went higher on 36 and a half receiving. So um, I'm basically hoping and praying for both Rodgers and Josh Allen to be heavy distributors tonight. Um, am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy i think that's what both teams hope they're going to be so if uh the teams get their wish you'll get yours um shakir boy <laughs> i know that's the one that i know is going to screw me i mean i did an insured slip so i only have to hit four out of five but that's the one where i'm like i don't know like he mm. might get a chance and he might drop it but <laughs> but he, <laughs> we'll see no, it's it. I think that's a pretty solid slip. I think we're going to see both teams try and sling it. And, uh, you know, in terms of the Bills, got to hold up versus that pass rush. But I have a feeling we'll be talking about them a lot this year. Uh, if you want to tail that slip or if you think I'm an idiot, again, you can go to uh, Underdog Fantasy at the link in the description below. Use promo code bootleg. They will match your deposit up to $100 and you'll get a free special uh, either for tonight or Thursday or next Sunday, whatever it happens to be. Um, again, thank you to Underdog for sponsoring us this entire season. We appreciate you greatly. And with that, let's get into the first game that we saw yesterday. Um, I I was warned against watching the All-22 of Matt Canada's offense uh, when, <laughs> when I was preparing for this show. But I did it anyway. I took that bullet. Wasn't great, EJ. Uh, was not great. Um, what I found interesting about that game was how how diverse the mistakes were like it wasn't just Pickett it wasn't just the <laughs> offensive line it wasn't just the receivers everybody played like ass equally and it led to them getting stomped obviously the 49ers played phenomenal their execution was great their defensive line was overwhelming but in terms of the Steelers they they played equally bad football for how good the Niners played and it led to a result like that 
I think we saw a lot of that, and we always see a lot of that in week one, where teams had all the best intentions. They've been running stuff smoothly all summer. Maybe even they got through joint practices with a tough opponent. They looked really good. Hype is high. They come out, and they spread mistakes around the field. And I think we saw it even in the Thursday night game. Both teams looked like they were trying to give plenty of other chances we saw it a bunch yesterday, and the Steelers, I would say, are up near the top of shooting themselves in the foot in week one. They definitely didn't look as good. Uh, in our preview episode, we talked about how we thought this game was going to go. <laughs> it did not go that way. It was probably the most lopsidedly different one um, from our preview episode last week. And they are a better football team than this, but they ran into a Niners team that was the opposite. <laughs> that was executing incredibly smoothly you had uh and i i specifically went through and watched all the third downs you had calvin austin running the wrong route on a third down and basically covering up pat fryermuth by himself with a bad route you had the ball bouncing off fryermuth's hands you had kenny pickett missing deontay johnson for an easy touchdown uh you had him missing deontay on a on a deep dig by like three yards um like the pressure was relentless so there were times where receivers were running wide open but Kenny was running for his life like the pressure percentage from the Niners was 44.3 percent which is super high that was seventh (laughs) most in the league uh across Sunday um interesting theme was it wasn't just we're gonna let Nick and Hargrave and Armstead and we're not just gonna rush for like they they actually brought a lot of pressure Fred had a lot of rushes in this game seems like every third medium third and long they were running fire zone and fred was coming um very very aggressive defense on third down and they're already hard to block as is let alone when you bring an extra guy it was just it was just bad football on the part of pittsburgh but great football on the part of the niners um so i you know perhaps they're uh perhaps they're not as as thin (laughs) as i thought maybe they were going into this year Talking about the Niners, I I was worried about them, right? Because with Kittle potentially being banged up, and and you know at the time we weren't sure if Bosa was going to play, and then he signed, and, and now he's fine. But like at the time, I was like, I don't know, with a banged up Kittle and and not as much depth uh, as as they've had in past years, I was a little bit worried about this game. But turns out, Niners are still good. Newsflash, um, right off the jump, too. They right off the jump, one. One of the things they did in that game was execute early, right? Yeah. Their first like three or four drives, they put up points, and they basically said, you're going to chase from now on, and that's not a position you want to be in against that defensive line, and they were able to crank up pressure, and it never really went back the other way. Also, Brandon Ayuk had a hell of a game. Which <laughs> I saw that. I even tweeted about the fact that Shanahan was trolling you, that Ayuk had two touchdowns in the first half. Forget it. I, I will say, uh, selfishly, I, I talk out of both sides of my mouth with Ayuk because I told people to start Pittman, Michael Pittman over Brandon Ayuk. And Pittman himself had a nice game, like 97 yards and touchdown, right? Uh, but then I myself started Ayuk, knowing that me giving advice against starting Ayuk was going to make him go off. That's just how the universe works. And so I got myself 28 points. I'm going to be selfish about it. I'm, I'm okay with doing that. but Yeah, you're yeah. just going to play the counter curse. It's cool. Yeah, chestnut checkers, EJ. Chestnut checkers. Uh, speaking of high pressure rates, by the way, Cowboys' pressure percentage was <laughs> the highest in the league this year, which if you watch Sunday Night Football, should not surprise you whatsoever. Um, I was deliriously watching that game at the end of an 11-hour stream with, with no food, and I almost lost track of how many times Daniel Jones got hit. Pressure percentage was 69.4%. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen one that high, like in my life. Like that is absolutely insane. It was overwhelming from start to finish. Really, the only time um, I thought the Giants had a shot was in their first drive when they were running the ball super well, and then of course you have the bad snap, and then the block field goal, and then you get uh, another defensive touchdown. All of a sudden, you're down by two scores, and they have to throw and. I think the Giants can run block really well. Pass protection is not good. So when they have to dig themselves out of a hole, they just can't do it. Um, 
if that first drive went differently, if they got points out of it and they could stay balanced and run the ball all day long, the game possibly could have been a very different ball game. But the fact that they are kind of only built to win one one way right now against a Cowboys team that is built to utterly destroy one-dimensional football teams, they kind of just didn't stand a chance after after those first couple turnovers. This is the back-to-earth moment for the New York Giants, and it's going to be a little bit painful because they exceeded expectations last year. We talked about this with Brian Dable. We were, we were going to be happy if he won five or six games. Mm-hmm. He won nine and made the playoffs, and that was beyond expectation for everything they had and everything they didn't have. They have the same stuff, largely. They they made some improvements through the draft, but again, young players take a second. They're not going to come rearing out of the gate in week one and be difference makers. And somebody on Twitter, and I can't remember who it is, not trying to steal the tweet. I would credit them if I could. You know that. Compared Daniel Jones to a ham sandwich. And they're <laughs> <Okay>. like, <laughs> Daniel Jones is a ham sandwich, and he's just fine. He's going to fill you up, but then some kid's going to bring two pieces of pizza for lunch, and you're going to be like, we still have a ham sandwich. <laughs> and I thought it was so apt because they're like, look, they had a softer schedule last year. They maximized what Daniel Jones can do, in my opinion. There was growth there, but it really was leveraging he and Saquon's legs, the running ability. And again, if you take that running ability away and say, you know, go back to the old axiom, make Daniel Jones play quarterback, your chances are pretty good. There's a there's a thin envelope, a little window where the Giants can play well. And Dable kept them right between the lines last year, and they got everything out of that team. It's going to be back to earth this year. They have a tougher schedule. They don't have a lot more diversity on offense. Waller certainly gives them some options. Hyatt's, I think, going to develop and give them some options down the road. But there's a blueprint out there now. And if people can, I'm not going to say they can generate the Cowboys pass rush because they can't, but if they can make the Giants sort of play left-handed early, it's going to be a long season in New York. Uh, Keeping it with the NFC East, um, Eagles Patriots we didn't get everything right in our preview show but one thing we did get right was that the Patriots were a sneaky matchup for Philly Um, specifically because of the style of defense that they play Um, again a lot of man coverage a lot of middle field close structures they're going to play tough against the run they're going to force they're going to force you to make tough throws against tight man coverage and even though Philly has A.J. Brown, even though Philly has Devonta Smith, the secondary for New England is equally good. Like, it is a phenomenal secondary. Uh, maybe not full of guys that are household names, but that doesn't make them any less good at their job. They allowed 251 total yards, had about 150 passing from Hertz. They, uh, the Eagles had 25 carries at less than four yards a pop. And I know you can say... The rain played a factor, and the rain did play a factor, but New England played in that rain too and had almost 400 yards of offense. Like the the Patriots' defense straight up outplayed the Eagles' defense, and that's kind of what we expected going into this thing. Um, I went through and I watched every single third down, and it was a lot of the coverages that we thought we were going to see. <laughs> a lot of a lot of one rat, a lot of zero. A lot of leaving guys on islands, bringing pressure, not giving Jalen time to sit back there and throw darts. And it worked. You know, overall, the Eagles were 4 of 13 on third down. On uh, seven dropbacks on third down, they converted one of them. Just stifling, stifling man coverage, aggressive cover zero, stout run defense were throwing bodies in the backfield. Like, that is the formula if you want to survive against Philly is you got to punch them before they punch you. Like, you cannot give them time back there to hit AJ deep and to hit Devontae deep like you you gotta just trust your DBs and get after it New England did that and were it not for you know the pick six from big play slay which credit to him he did it because he's big play slay uh and then you had the fumble early but like were it not for that Patriots very easily could have won that game and that's what we were warning against was that this this could potentially be an upset alert type of game and it was, <laughs> you know, obviously the Eagles still pulled through and they won because they're the Eagles. But like, A, 
New England is not as bad as people think they are. They're not bad at all, actually. They're a very solid football team, and I think that was a good demonstration of that. But B, the formula that we saw work against Philly last year from the Colts of all teams it still kind of works. And I'm, I'm really curious to see if other teams try to match that this year. Not everybody can because they don't all have New England's defense, but like schematically the blueprint still seems to kind of be there. Yeah, you have to play aggressive. We talked about that. We talked about this defense dragging Philly down into the mud. We didn't know there was going to be actual mud, but <laughs> they that's what they were going to do. And it looked like in the middle, okay, Philadelphia's got on top a little bit. They're going to start to pull away. And then I came back to this game really at the beginning of the fourth quarter's five-point game. It's 25 to 20 or something like that. And I was like, ooh, whole quarter to play? They're keeping it close. This is what we talked about. You know, drag them down to your level and beat them with experience. They dragged them into the mud. They kept them physical. They played them straight up. They played them in man. And Philadelphia couldn't pull away, right? They had them in that bear hug. They kept basically this reminds me of like a wrestler taking it to the ground, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going with the big haymakers. We're not going with the big strikes and the roundhouse kicks. We're gonna we're gonna get you on the ground and kind of pin your elbows in and see what you got down there. And Really, the Eagles, again, largely through the strength of their defense, had five more points at that point, but it felt kind of tenuous, and I feel like we nailed that one because we said that's what you're going to see. If if New England gets off the game they want to get off, it's going to be close, it's going to be lower scoring, and they're going to have a chance to win it at the end, and they did all those things. Also, I want to credit um, – well, I want to credit two things. A, Eagles' defensive line, they saved that game in the end. Um, you know, with Reddick drawing the holding call and the two-point conversion, which definitely changed the game towards the end. And then the the pass rush on the last drive got home, Jordan Davis, Sweat, all them. You know, they that, that defensive line showed up when they absolutely had to and, and basically won them the game. Um, but on the other side, I also want to give credit to Mac Jones for the performance that he put in against that defensive line, right? Um, when they went into their no-huddle stuff, New England, that is, Mac was slicing and dicing. He had one kind of iffy throw that almost got picked off by Slay when he left a, a deep ball too far inside. But, you know, working with Juju Schmidt-Schuster and, and Kayshawn Boutte and, um, you know, Hunter Henry, like no no superstar receivers out there. But when they got into no huddle and they said, Mac, go run the offense at warp speed, he did it. And he was on time. He was on target. He was efficient. He threw three different touchdowns against cover three in the red zone where he hit the seam every single time. You know, Kendrick Bourne out there making plays. Mack looked fantastic. Again, in inclement weather against a Super Bowl caliber defense, Mack looked great. And I, I just want to emphasize New England is not dead. All right. The defense is still elite in the offense. That was the best offensive performance that we've seen in like two years from them against a very good defense. So keep an eye on the Patriots. They may or may not be a, a snake in the grass here. It's a good football team. I feel like that was a massive exhale for Mac. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's just purging last year. I couldn't be happier for that guy because as a rookie, we saw a lot of those things. All the things you just mentioned, that he was accurate, that he was on time, that he hit small windows, that he kept defenses under pressure by doing all of those things. Last year, just dynamite the whole thing. Like yeah. the Matt Patricia, quote unquote, led offense. I feel like he was so frustrated on a week to week basis and couldn't show all those things. And everybody said, What happened to Mac? And I was like, mm, I don't really think a lot <laughs> happened to Mac. I think Mac's the same guy. Bill O'Brien comes back in, reinstitutes a lot of the things he was more successful with, Mac was more successful with as a rookie. And guess what? He looks like a now third year player with even more experience going, ah, okay, yeah. that's a real offense. And goes out and puts, you know, Philadelphia under pressure in bad weather. Very good performance. And I think a huge sigh of relief coming from the New England area as well. Okay, we don't have to like burn it all down and start over. It really was as bad as we thought it was on the offensive side of the ball. And we're, quote unquote, back to where we were. Uh, moving from a game that we sort of kind of got right to a game that we definitely, uh, definitely kind of got wrong. Uh, <laughs> at least I did. Dolphins Chargers. I want to issue a little mea culpa here. I thought going into this game, based on what we saw last year, 
that we were going to see uh, Tyreek Hill get doubled in, into oblivion and that it was going to be the Jalen Waddle show and they were going to run the ball a lot against two high structures and that, you know, it might be kind of like a, a knockdown, drag out defensive battle type of game. Uh, total opposite. <laughs> complete opposite and uh i want to to talk about how damn good of a football coach mike mcdaniel is um and also how damn good of a quarterback tua is okay there, there was a 55 percent pressure rate coming at him from the chargers like the chargers got pressure in this game with four and tua still stood in there uh, he was surgical. He was precise. He made great decisions. He got the ball down the field with regularity. If you look at explosive passing plays, uh, which is pass plays of 15 plus yards, uh, Miami was first with 17 this week and second place was eight. Okay. Like it, it was the, one of the most impressive offensive performances I've seen out of a quarterback um, in probably the last last couple seasons, I would say. Considering the pressure, considering the precision, considering ball placement, like every decision was perfect. Almost every single ball was perfect. And and Mike McDaniel did such a phenomenal job of making it so that they couldn't double-team Tyreek Hill. And that's what I thought we were going to get this game was, okay, we're going to get two high structures. It's going to be half quarter-quarter and quarter-quarter half and cover two and all that kind of stuff. Like Tyreek's going to get a cloud corner all day. They're going to have to go to everybody else. They wanted to do that. They tried to do that. And the way that McDaniel used motion, the way that he was using like switch releases uh, to, to basically like make coverage assignments change in real time, um, the way that he was able to use formations and basically just make it impossible for, for Tyreek to get doubled, um, or at least like traditionally doubled. He was completely in his bag. Like there was an example um, where they threw they threw a dagger off a rail release where Tyreek basically lined up in the same spot like a like a tight end would, right? He was like right next to the tackle, yard off the line of scrimmage, released on a rail, and he showed it to him a couple plays earlier with Waddle, where they put him in roughly the same spot, released him down the boundary on a rail, and it was against J.C. Jackson, right? Um, and so JC lines up and he sees Tyreek. He sees the same release. It's a switch. He's releasing down the boundary. And so he's staying way over the top of it. He's like, oh, they're going to try to hit this thing down the boundary. Nope. It's a dagger concept off a switch release where he's wheeling down the boundary and then cutting inside. Like JC had no answer for that. There's nothing you could do about it. There's no help inside. Like there, there was nothing he can do. And it was like 30 yards. Next play, like play action shot. Against a middle field close look, no inside help because the free safety has to has to stay inside a waddle deep down the field. Michael Davis is just <laughs> just pumping down the field, running after Tyreek. Like, <laughs> again, the, the calls on offense were immaculate, and every it seemed like everything that Brandon Staley did was getting punished either by McDaniel with his scheme or by Tua with his precision. Like poor Eric Kendricks put in a freaking blender like there was stuff that like on paper should have worked for the chargers but Tua was throwing perfect passes to beat like hook zone defenders sitting inside of Tyreek like literally perfect passes where you throw out the playbook and you're like there's nothing we could do about that I was just I was floored like I expected the Dolphins to offense to be good this year I didn't think that they would be so good that even when the Chargers did the right thing schematically, it wouldn't matter. Like, that, that is rare, where there is literally nothing you can do as a defense. And for the Chargers, at least, there was nothing they could do. You talked about McDaniel, and I want to talk about why him being that good is so important. You can tell right now that the offensive players, certainly on the Dolphins, are like, Whatever you say, man, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he makes it work. McDaniel makes it work regardless of what they're going up against. And in Staley in particular, and what you keyed in on in our preview episode, I feel like McDaniel got his tape last year. Mm -hmm. And the Chargers did a good job last year. You made a very good point of that, that they held them down, right? And they did it in specific ways. And McDaniel went, okay. Yeah. Cool. 
now I you showed me yours. I'm going to show you mine. And one of the concepts he used that I want to highlight that was specifically different from last year to this year is he was using motion last year to move the Chargers defenders, which is a good offensive practice. He was using long motion, mm-hmm. meaning he was bringing people from one side of the formation all the way across. And that gave the Chargers defenders time to realize and Staley has his guys trained up and move and shift and they did and they did it beautifully and they called the right things and it frustrated the Dolphins defense McDaniel said I still need to use motion but I need to change it up I can't give them the time to adjust so I need to catch them in the adjustment or before they can adjust I need to put them in conflict immediately so this year he didn't use long motion he used short motion he used motion from the same side of the formation basically like you said lining guys up as a tight end or tight slot and then running them to the outside and it was almost like the CFL it was almost <laughs> like they were running at the snap right yeah and then moving them up the boundary and the Chargers were like hey he's moved oh damn and when you have guys as fast as Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, they couldn't adjust and they were a step behind the entire day and Tua you could tell got more and more sort of emboldened by that by the third quarter by the fourth quarter he was just like he knew he was going to have opportunities he still played a phenomenal game I'm not saying that this was all schemed up and Tua didn't do a great job this was a great matchup of a head coach in his bag with play calling making awesome offensive adjustments and the quarterback going yeah that's the good shit give me more (laughs) of that and just letting it go because he knew it was going to be open and he knew the routes were going to be there and that synergy is what made the Dolphins win this game and fantastic job by McDaniel we'll talk about McVay in a little bit doing a similar thing with the Rams like these are two guys that were in their freaking bags and their teams responded because of it I also want to give um, a slight little note on the Chargers we came in this year and also we came in previewing this game about run defense and run game, right? Chargers can't run the ball and they can't stop the run. The only thing they could do in this game was run the ball really well and stop the run. You know, Miami had 20 carries at three and a half a pop and, you know, the Chargers run game was like the only consistently good thing about their offense. It's it's kind of an interesting uh, flip of the script there. Ideally, they can flip it back again. Uh, but it is nice to see the Chargers actually run the ball well for once. It's it's nice. And defend the run. That's That has been the Achilles heel. We talk about it, you know, down the stretch, especially for the Chargers. They have not been able to do this, and it just guts them, right? Teams just go, well, we can do what we want, especially on the inside game. If we're not trying to stretch it out, they do have speed to the edges. But in terms of just pounding guys, we're always like, man, they need a big four eye. Man, they need a nose tackle. Man, they need more hosses inside. They bottled up what is a powerful offensive line and a good, very good run game. And it was, yes, very refreshing to see. EJ, I'm sorry, but we have to do this. We have to. Oh, yes, we do. Packers we absolutely. Bears. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll let Don't you apologize. go first. I'll let you go first. <laughs> Don't apologize. We do need to do this. Uh, it was shockingly bad um, for the Bears side. Packers played a good game, and I, you know, I read your notes, and I agree. Jordan Love didn't have to do a lot, and what he did have to do, he did well. He just, you said, drove the bus. I like the phrase. He did. He looked um, like he did for the good parts of the preseason. And he mostly looked good in the preseason. He had some things that weren't great that he was working on in the preseason, but the times he looked good in the preseason, he was smooth, he was poised, he was comfortable, he was making the right decisions. And it wasn't that hard to do, and that's the important part. Um, the pass rush for the Bears, we knew it was going to be bad. They went out and got Yannick Ngakwe, which was good. He had a sack in this game. That was about it. They had a historically low pass rush win rate, 10%. Lowest in PFF recorded history, as far as I know. Brad Spielberger put really? that one up this morning. Yeah. Oh, my no, God. Brad, Brad put up a tweet about it. as a 10% pass rush win rate. You put up a 20% pressure rate stat. Both of those are terrible. We talked about how good, how phenomenally good a pass rush was at the top. That was the Cowboys at almost 70%, just to put that in perspective. 70 20 or 10 take your numbers lord love had all day to throw 
all day. He had so much time that it wasn't difficult. He was very rarely under pressure, and it looked like seven on seven, like where he can't touch him and he's wearing a red jersey, except it's a live NFL game and you're never getting hands on him. Aaron Jones played very well. We knew they would lean on Aaron Jones a lot this year, especially with a young quarterback. We knew Aaron Jones was really good. He looked great, but the Bears' defense, for all its additions and everything else, they need defensive line help. On the other side, they need offensive line help, and we kind of knew this. They've been banged up. They've been shuffling. They were counting on Cody Whitehair. We were both very surprised in the draft when they didn't pick a center. <laughs> yeah. Like, really, it was center. We were like, okay, they're pretty sure that, like, what, Whitehair, Lucas Patrick is going to – well, they were both in there yesterday – they couldn't pass protect a lick. Justin, you know, in sharp contrast to Jordan Love, was under pressure early and often. And when he wasn't, he was hesitating. He looked not great. There is so much work to do here. And the offensive game plan was the thing that confused me the most because you've got all summer to prepare. Justin is the presumed starter. You figured out, figured out. The offense last year, week six, week seven, the bye, they changed it. They leaned, you know, largely on his running ability. You've had all year to rebuild the offensive line, all year to install plays, uh, you know, full summer to get ready for the Packers. You knew what this game meant in Chicago. And the Bears offense looked largely, except for the one touchdown drive in the second half where they sort of charged back and got a touchdown. That looked like an NFL offense. Almost everything else from this offense was rugged. And the further it went, the more spooked Justin looked, the more look-offs, the more lock-ons, the more all the bad habits that he was really supposed to be making jump and getting over. Super concerning stuff because it looked like Getsy was trying to keep the ball out of his hands. Mm. It looked like he was trying to do half-field reads, singles, touch and goes all kinds of you know uh Derek Klassen called it baby proofing the offense and you shouldn't have to do that with a guy in his third year who again you've been working with now for you know the better part of a year or year and a half almost you have a full understanding of his skill set if you're having to do that and that's what it looked like I'm not in the room I don't know how it was called obviously how it was called and how it was executed can be very very different and that's a caveat I need to say that but how it looked on the outside was extremely concerning given previous issues. And that has me worried. The lines are the lines. Like they did or didn't do as much as they did or didn't do on those. They're not going to change significantly. Maybe a you know, maybe an addition at the trade deadline, but that's gonna be it. That pretty much is what it is. You just hope for returning health, maybe getting Tevin Jenkins back is the is the key that unlocks the offensive line. But in terms of the quarterback, the processing and the game plan, like breathe out. It was rugged. I I have a lot of mixed feelings about this game because you you see the talent of Justin Fields, you know, getting out of some of the sacks and, you know, creating something out of nothing, right? But you also see the the layups that were just not getting hit like he just wasn't seeing the field and I don't know if it was because the pressure rate was so high again Packers had the second high, highest pressure rate in the league this week like Rashawn Gary was absolutely destroying Darnell Wright it was not a fair fight right which again I don't know rookie first game against one of the best edge rushers in the league like you don't expect it to be a fair, a fair fight but you know, at least be a speed bump out there. And and, and he wasn't, you know? <laughs> it's kind of like people said, oh, McGlinchey got his lunch eaten by Max Crosby. And I was like, well, Max Crosby eats everybody's lunch. Yeah, Gary it's, was it's a little not bit a, the same. It's not a new but thing. It, but it wasn't just him. That's the thing is all day long, and it was so stark between going back between Packers and Bears, right? Packers had come out on defense, and they were just living in the Bears' backfield. Bears come out on defense – you could just play classical music, like <laughs> elevator music, Jordan Love, back, choice, choice. Oh, I'll hit that guy. And it was just such a contrast throughout the entire game. And I do feel like Justin, so it's interesting how there were some times where I was like, I don't know if he's not seeing the field or I don't know if he's seeing it, but he's hesitating, which is an entirely different problem. 
um, on the fumble that he had. And again, I don't I don't know why he was he was stuck on on this first read so much, but like Jair was sitting off and outside leverage. You know, it's trips to the field. There's a speed out that's getting run under Jair, which, first of all, you don't want to throw that. Like, he's outside leverage. You don't want to throw that ball. Like, pre-snap, you should be looking at that and saying, I'm not fucking throwing that. Like, there's no way. But Justin, like, you could see him looking at it. Like, he was he was being like, can I? Can I do this? Like, do I have the arm? And it's like, you can't think against this defense. You have two seconds. Rashawn Gary is murdering your offensive line. Kenny Clark is murdering your offensive line. You have two seconds. You got to go. Meanwhile, you got, you got. I think it was Cole Komet, you know, leaking out the back door with 10 yards of space to run. And it's like, dude, you should know pre-snap, just looking at the alignment. That throw is not going to happen. And that you should be ready to, to move to Cole Komet. And instead, he, he was stuck and he was stuck and he was stuck. And then he was like, ah, I'm going to run. And then he fumbled, right? Uh, and then he comes back like... Um, you know, he throws the pick six to Quay Walker, which was an inexcusable ball. Like, I get he was trying to be a hero, but there was still some time left in that game. Like, he didn't have to press that early. Threw a pick six, which basically put it out of reach, and then he came back, and, and then you started to see him kind of get gun-shy with it, where he didn't want to test hook zone defenders. They have a mesh call on third and five. You got the ODB route sitting over the middle, like, wide-ass open. It's like, Justin, rip it. Rip the throw. Like, that's what you're supposed to do, and he, and he didn't do it. And so it was just a bad game, a straight-up bad game. And I don't know if it was because he wasn't seeing the field. I don't know if it was because he was hesitating. I don't know if it was both. I don't know if it was because of the pressure, which the Packers defense played fantastically well. I don't know if it was because he felt like he had to be a hero because they were down so much, but they were also down so much partly because of him. It was bad, man. It was just so bad. And there was there was almost nothing redeemable there about that game like you look at some other teams that got blown out and at least there was there were some flashes where you're like okay I think I think there's still at least something there I didn't see shit with the Bears yesterday that made me confident about any game at all going forward like there was nothing there which is is surprising and sad yeah both and there was very little I'm not gonna say nothing but the secondary looks pretty good um, for most of the game. Not great, but, you know, I think good. Linebacking was definitely improved, but it was very hard to see that behind a defensive line that was doing nothing, like zero. And on offense, way more questions than answers. Roshan, bright spot, came in, absolutely ran over a Green Bay defender. That spurs that one touchdown drive. And on that touchdown drive, multiple plays, they strung together multiple good plays, drove right down, again, on the very same good defense, and scored. And you're like, that's it. That's what you need to be calling. What are you waiting for? Why are you not calling that game before you're down by double digits? And that's what I don't understand is, why is the on switch for the Bears, oh, we're down by 20 now, now we can play loose and light it up. Like play you loose fell and for light my trap card, Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> we got yeah, you right where is, we want you. <laughs> but they're not good enough to pay that off. It would be funny if they were and raced back to some crazy comeback. But they had that one drive, and it was like, oh, cool. Maybe now they're awake. And no, the very next drive looked lifeless, flat, inept, disconnected, all the things. So I'm with you. Way more questions than answers. Very little good to take out of this game. If you're Chicago, if you're a Green Bay fan, you're feeling pretty good. You're exhaling kind of like Mac. You're like, okay, cool. We're not going to be shit. We're we're still very solid on the offensive line, which they were. The offensive line played very well. Defense looks aggressive. Jordan Love can get it out to people. We didn't even have Christian Watson, and we smoked the Bears. Cool. The world is as it should be if you're a Packers fan. Well, on that depressing note, let's get to uh, another unexpected blowout. Uh, The Rams absolutely beat the tar out of the Seahawks. And I know there's caveats here. Uh, If you lose both your offensive tackles, of of course, there's going to be a lot of pressure. Um, But that being said, it wasn't wasn't just the Rams pass rush uh, that was playing well. It was Matt Stafford having... Uh, a, a, I don't want to say like a renaissance performance, but 
um, you know, to go in there without your number one receiver and to look as good as he did. Again, remember, the Rams were second in explosive pass plays this week with no Cooper Cup. Stafford played phenomenal. Uh, Tutu Atwell had an amazing game. Puka Nakua, who I feel like we talked about endlessly at every possible opportunity whenever we were doing pre-draft talk, uh, whenever during the actual draft streams we talked about Puka a lot. Uh, when we did the Rams episode, we emphasized how much we liked him and how uh, really the only reason he got drafted where he did because of injury, but he could very well be their new Robert Woods. He looked the part. He looked the part. And when Cooper Cup comes back, whenever that happens to be, the combination of Cup and Pukunakua and occasionally Van Jefferson when he catches the ball, that's a good receiving core. It really is. And if Stafford keeps playing like this and the pass rush keeps looking like that, I don't, I don't want to say like the Rams are a great team, but they certainly are not, you know, in that bottom five to six conversation that a lot of people, not us, but a lot of people were expecting this offseason. Like a lot of people were kind of saying like Drake May's future team is, is the Los Angeles Rams. I, I, I kind of don't think so at this point. I think they might be better than that. If Stafford stays healthy, I completely agree with you. And that was really the caveat is Stafford has been banged up really throughout his career. He, he suffered a lot of bad injuries in Detroit before he got traded. Um, we've seen him get knocked out of a lot of games. But, uh, you know, it's not so much renaissance. It was a reminder. Hey, when I'm healthy, I can do this. And he threaded a bunch of needles yesterday. Classic sort of throwback Matt Stafford. I can get it in there. Watch me. And... Ball placement was excellent. Zip was really good. Um, Unlike Justin, he was super decisive within the offense. He looked every bit back. If they can keep him on the field, they're going to be a very competitive team. Got to shout out Tutu Atwell. Like Puka for sure. A lot of flowers coming in about Puka and all the good things we said about him. He had an amazing game. Tutu Atwell had the same number of yards on half the catches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He's basically nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and when you have him as a third or even fourth receiver, depending on where you're putting Van Jefferson in that hierarchy, when Cup comes back, yeah, if you've got Stafford slinging it in that way, healthy on the field, Cup healthy back on the field, and those generally younger guys contributing, the Rams are going to steal a few people's lunch money that really were kind of circling that game, you know, in the preseason, going, ah, okay, this would be a, this would be an easy week, this would be a soft week, this is, you know, one step up from the Cardinals. McVay is a transformed coach. Jordan Rodriguez wrote about McVay's approach this offseason and needing to change everything, needing to change coaching, needing to change how they address players, needing to change himself. And there's a lot of talk in the offseason about change and reinventing. It looked real yesterday. That is a very different team. They are not, usually you say running it back when a team had a lot of success. Last year's Rams team, obviously not a lot of success. But they are in no way running any of that back and saying, oh, it was just an off year. You know, we can make it work. McVay's done this a couple times during his career and the results are on the field yesterday. And it's funny to me that they did it against a Seahawks team that won exactly that way with younger talent and no expectations last year. And then the Seahawks came in rolling on very high expectations this year and they got blasted. Yeah, it was uh, I think it was definitely a, a gut check for the Seahawks of like, hey, everything looks great on paper, but you still got to go out there and actually play the game. Right. Um, and I, I think they, they definitely <laughs> learned some very hard lessons from that. Hopefully, again, we don't have any injury information on on uh, on Cross and, and, and Luke yet, but I hopefully it's good and they come back soon because they cannot pass protect without those guys at all. Um, but I think Seahawks, uh, Seahawks definitely learned a, a very hard lesson about counting chickens for the eggs hatch. And we'll see how they respond. Um, I do want to do a little bit of a speed run for some of the other games that we're not really going to get a chance to to go deep into. Uh, Vikings losing to Tampa. Turnovers matter when Kirk fumbles twice early in the game and then throws an egregious pick at the two-yard line uh, because 
for whatever reason, situational football, you got 30 seconds left, you still have a timeout, and he's trying to fit in a slant against Stubby and compress space in the red zone rather than either checking to a run or throwing a back shoulder ball to Justin Jefferson. I have no idea why he made that decision, but he did because he's fucking Kirk. They lost the game because of it. He's going to have those weeks. He's going to have the Kirk, I'm turning the ball over and losing to a team I shouldn't lose kind of week. He's still going to have microwave Kirk weeks, but if you're a Vikings fan, you know well enough at this point that's going to happen. It's going to happen two or three times a year, and it is what it is. Kirk looked like a microwave for most of yesterday, and that was probably the most surprising part is, aside from a couple of bad decisions, that passing game was carving up the Bucks In terms of the passing game only, not the entire team, not the winning percentage, these Vikings remind me of like the late Vermeil Rams if they didn't have Marshall Falk and never tried to run the ball. <laughs> like in terms of weapons, like to Hawkinson, obviously Justin Jefferson, Osborne, you know, getting con- contributions from the rookie, even a touchdown. Like they have weapons all over the place. And Kirk was on time. He understands. He and Kevin O'Connell are vibing. He was slinging it. He looked like precision, but they didn't run the ball very well. The Bucks played opportunistically physical on defense they got the turnovers and then baker just i'm just gonna call it bakered right he played plucky he played you know just good enough football and that's that's his game and it was the difference so the vikings look super formidable as a passing team the defense hasn't quite caught up to brian flores yet and the run game i know darisaw was out for a bit and then back you know playing injured they got to clean that up a little bit. If you look at their rushing chances between Madison and Ty Chandler, who are both very good running backs, they didn't, you know, either the play calls didn't bring them into it or they didn't support that part, but they're going to have to bring that up because, again, if people step on the Vikings passing game or Kirk has a cold week, ugh. Yeah, they, they kind of only got one good punch That's what right they now. got. <laughs> um. Yeah, turnovers matter, folks. That's that's the key takeaway here. Uh, speed running the rest of it. Uh, Atlanta is not going to pass the ball because they don't have to. Uh, they will just run it down your throat, uh, <laughs> which, we, again, we kind of expected. Uh, Drake London, if you started him, I'm sorry. Uh, but also, yeah, that's that's kind of the offense they run. It's, it's going to be running, 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 throwing when we absolutely have to under pain of death, but... That's what Atlanta is, and they're going to win that way. They're going to play good defense. They're going to run the ball. Uh, Cleveland, we we shouted this out in the offseason that if there was any team that was an amazing matchup against the Bengals, it is Cleveland because they have the secondary to play against those, uh, those receivers. They have uh, Miles Garrett, who I don't think the Bengals have ever blocked once any time they've ever played against him. <laughs> Uh, they have a, a better defensive coordinator this year uh, in Schwartz who just took the talent that already existed and is now maximizing it and realizing like, hey, we actually do have really good corners. Maybe we should let them be good and play man coverage. Shocker. It worked. Um, but, you know, we highlighted that the Browns were a really bad matchup for the Bengals even going into this game, and that proved to be true. Uh, Jacksonville and Indy, Anthony Richardson, he put up an absolute whale of a fight but still through that one rookie interception uh, I think it was to Campbell I think it was Tyson Campbell yep. um, and that was the difference of the game you know Trevor Trevor was under siege for a lot of it was dropping dimes and doing Trevor Lawrence stuff um, very fun defensive battle especially in short yarded situations like nobody could convert on fourth and one the entire game it was a fun game but the difference was one team has Trevor Lawrence and one team is a rookie quarterback who's still figuring it out We'll see what happens when they meet again. Um, Washington barely survived Arizona. That one definitely surprised me. Uh, Baltimore shellacked Houston. That did not surprise me. You have whatever the fuck is going on in Denver. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is anything else out of that whole list kind of stick out to you as, as worth talking about? Well, Derek Carr had a good game for the Saints. Again, that game overall wasn't tremendous, but he put up 300 yards in his you know opening for a new team, touchdown and a pick, but looked to be moving that offense pretty well. Tennessee played a very Tennessee game. Um, Ty J Spears out-snapping Derek Henry. I, I'm kind of curious 
if it was because they felt like they couldn't really get the run game going to the level where you start feeding the king, right? And if they if they felt like based on the stuff that they thought they had to run, if Ty J was a better fit for it. I don't think that's going to happen every week, but in weeks like this one where you just can't run the ball, uh, it's possible that we see Ty J mix in there a lot more than than, than people expected. Uh, looking at the rushing stats for that game, by the way, for Tennessee, they had 22 carries for 104, which sounds great, but keep in mind a lot of that uh, a lot of that came from one particular carry from Derrick Henry for 18. So if you're getting like almost yeah, 18, 19% of your yard. And then you, you had one from Ty J too. So if you're getting, what, total 35 to 40% of your yards on like two carries. Two carries. The rest of the, the, rest of the time they ran the ball, they weren't really getting anything. So I, I, I would say that contributed pretty heavily to, uh, to how they were distributing snaps there. Yeah. Russell Wilson, 34 attempts, almost 35 attempts, 177 yards. Not great. Almost 30 completions, 27 completions, 177 yards. It's like 5.2 per attempt. Like it's that is not the mesh they were hoping for in the early Peyton Russ marriage. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for our little our little week one recap. Uh, Again, if you're interested in doing a Monday night slip uh, over on Underdog, you can use promo code BOOTLEG over in the link in the description down below. That'll match your deposit up to $100, and you also get access to the free special. Um, we're going to be back on Thursday for our first TNF stream of the season that goes live a half hour before kickoff, and we're going right through the end of the game. And then we're coming back on Friday uh, with our week two preview. So I hope you come by for that. We're probably going to record that tomorrow, right? I, Meh, yeah, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so uh, we'll either record that tomorrow or Wednesday, get that live on Friday. But we'll see you next on Thursday. want to thank all of our executive producers over on Patreon, Marat, Consti, Andrew, Liam, Connor, and Mike L. We appreciate all of you greatly. And with that, EJ, let's go get ready for Thursday.